بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to the episode 8 of the Talking Dean podcast I'm your host Majid and I have the usual brother Rush with me and also our guest today is brother Shaz is uh, a local businessman is uh, a brother who's been on the Dawah scene for quite a few years and uh, subhanallah I've known him for quite a while as well so inshallah ta'ala before we start on the uh, podcast itself I think it's worth uh, just letting our viewers know that uh, you know we sort of apologize if we can actually do that uh, for the short absence on the podcast since the end of Ramadan uh, this isn't because we've had a rest uh, it's actually because we've been planning ahead and inshallah with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with your support we plan we're actually planning on a, a big year ahead of us inshallah uh, and uh, with many new shows and um, we've got many ideas inshallah which you don't expose at the moment uh, we'll let everyone know throughout the year okay so inshallah ta'ala today's topic uh, we've chosen is the issue of the death of muhammad mursi and that's why the actual title of the the podcast itself is was muhammad mursi assassinated and we think it's actually subhanallah we were thinking after ramadan what would be uh, the best topic to do and this is something which is trending because we see worldwide and there's a lot of emotion um, we see many many uh, muslims around the world who are praying uh, you know janaza uh, prayer for uh, muhammad mursi and you know there's a lot of sadness because especially if we look at the events uh, of his demise um, you know uh, if, if you were to follow the news you know the way he was uh, treated whilst he was in uh, in prison and also when he died you know in court uh, they say that he was uh, you know left alone for 20 minutes or half an hour just lying there where he collapsed and subhanallah hence why we see a lot of sadness and also because we know that you know what he represented uh, was islam so we see that the emotion of the ummah is also uh, one which is uh, one of, one with an islamic feel to it but subhanallah saying that that a lot of Muslims are aware of this, I still think it's a good uh, good point to start on who was Muhammad Mursi. Because there may well be people out there who have heard the name, but they don't actually know who he was. So inshallah brothers, let's discuss, let's start off the discussion, who was Muhammad Mursi? Assalamu alaikum brother Majid. Wa alaikum alaikum to all our viewers and brothers and sisters out there. Uh, so Muhammad Mursi was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, but he was also a uh, an engineer by trade and a university professor in Egypt. Um, he had been long affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood for many, many years and obviously was classed as the uh, last democratically elected or the first democratically first. elected uh, president of Egypt. Uh, so this is just a little bit about uh, who he was. He was, you know, he was a, a person who had been affiliated for a very long time with the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay, so I mean, yes, the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, uh, is an organization that's been around for a while. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it may be worth speaking about the Muslim Brotherhood as well then. Because I think with, without the Brotherhood, there would be no mercy. That's cool. Okay, yes. so in regards to the Brotherhood itself, you know, what information do we have? So, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, was an Islamic organization uh, that has been around since 1928. Um, and it was formed by Hassan al-Banna, 
and a few other people and they mainly originated from the Suez Canal Company and the whole formulation of uh, Muslim Brotherhood came about because of a lot of the social injustices that were taking place at the time. What sort of, what, what year are we talking about? 1928. So the group was formed so in 1928. not too far after the collapse of the the Ottoman Khilafah exactly, itself. So exactly. it was like a, almost like a, yeah. a, a reactionary movement, yeah. like there were many other reactionary yeah. movements yeah. off the back of the yeah. collapse of the Islamic State. Yeah. And in fact, if you, what Brother Rash has just mentioned, if you look at some of the things that uh, Muslim Brotherhood actually did, a lot of those functions were functions that uh, traditionally, obviously, the state was taking yeah. care of. So in terms of uh, education, uh, they were big on opening up schools, uh, the Islamic education in, within mosques as well. Uh, again, the Muslim Brotherhood would partake in, in this kind of uh, setup. So, so what was the injustice you're talking about? Was it the fact that these things, the, 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 the governments, the monarchies that replaced the, the Islamic rulers, were, were they not doing these things? Uh, not only that, uh, the Suez Canal Company was a French organization that had taken control of the uh, Suez Canal. So when the Khilafah had been carved up and distributed uh, amongst the colonial powers, uh, one of the things they actually did was control the Suez Canal. And this was a, a big port uh, area where a lot of trade, a lot of taxation was taking place on goods coming into the country. Uh, the Suez Canal Company, believe it or not, used to take 75% of the profits. 10% went to the Egyptian government. And there were obviously other elements that were paid out. So if you think about it, the people working there were on next to nothing. Their families were barely surviving. Um, and this was part and parcel of obviously colonialists whenever they go and plunder uh, the Muslim lands. We've seen this in history. And so this, a lot of it arose from that sentiment that was taking place. And uh, Hassan al-Banna was seen as a person who spoke up for the truth and was well known within the area. His family history was well known. He was uh, very uh, respectable and spoke highly, obviously, amongst people, spoke highly of him and he had a vast amount of knowledge as well. So a lot of people would, would, would speak with him, discuss with him and in fact, you know, he, he would speak out against things like this. So uh, the group was formed around from people within who were workers from within the Suez Canal Company as well and other local people who were teachers, who, again, as people have mentioned here, brothers have mentioned here that the remnants from the Islamic State, they understood what they were missing, what was lacking within society. So the group really used to speak up against those things that were missing. So uh, try, try to fill the void. Fill the void, exactly. And I think filling the void was the big thing. Uh, because everybody was, it was a very a short space of time, four years. And they were looking back and saying, well, you know, trying to diagnose the problem. And maybe we can fix the problem with all these main characteristics. And education, health. So it wasn't just education. With health was a big thing as well. So doctors were, were, yeah, were part of the charities. Yeah. So these are the areas that they were classing as social injustice. And they were helping taking care of those needs. I, I think they recognized quite <coughs> well that the idea that, you know, from a grassroots point yeah. of view, that the way to establish is Islam again was to yeah. recognize that if we can transform each individual, 
then we can transform each family then we can kind of spread that at a grassroots level from the ground up almost like a, a bottom-up approach and make sure that the Muslims you know are back you know we know that there was a decline amongst the Muslims at the latter end of the collapse of the the Islamic State we know there's this kind of decline so the Muslim Brotherhood actually did some very good work to say how do we get people back understanding the deen at a level where you know if we transform those individuals that will have a natural grassroots effect on society and then as the society forms more islamically that we can really kind of prepare them for things to come mm-hmm. and like you say i think they the one good thing i would definitely say is they had a view on a like a long game they recognize that this is not something you can overnight. immediately solve mm. overnight yeah. you know a decline requires an element of revival mm-hmm. and revival doesn't happen overnight right, so yeah. they recognize this and they also recognize we do we do this from the ground up rather than just replacing like a leadership and then forcing it on people so what you're saying is uh, it's clear that their objective was to bring back political islam i i the khilafa the reestablishment of the sharia law absolutely laws. yeah because even in this early inception Uh, statements were made that the reference point for everything that we, they were doing was from Quran and Sunnah. Yeah. So an organization which says that its reference point is Quran and Sunnah mm-hmm. only solely has one objective to obviously resume living under Islam and making sure that everything in society is taking place the Islamic way mm-hmm. and not the non-Islamic way. So there's a, there's a saying uh, actually by Muhammad Mursi himself. I mean we're talking about at the, at the beginning of yeah. the brotherhood but just to say you had you know he said the Quran is our constitution yeah. the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is our leader jihad is our path and death in the name of Allah is our goal. Subhanallah. So it's quite clear. So so uh, just for our viewers and um, listeners How did uh, people react to this? Did 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 this organization did it uh, become popular? Yeah, massively, extremely. massively. To be honest with you, I mean, obviously, they, what they did was they did target specific pillars within the community. So you're looking at doctors, teachers, local business people. They did did speak with people like that. And again, you have to appreciate four years is nothing. So from looking at having the khilafa. and people to be actually making them understand what is lacking and what is missing from there it's a very short space of time um and i think within that the appeal was there there was a lot of islamic sentiment on the ground as well so people understood what they were trying to achieve very clearly very easily they understood that what they're trying to achieve as well so within a very short space of time they started to have a lot of impact specifically in the Suez area uh, then obviously it started to broaden out within Egypt i mean by 36 uh, they'd had about 800 members within a short space of time but by 1948 globally and if we just want to jump by globally they had over 2 million members you know 70 different countries yeah and in egypt alone yeah. there was about a million okay. and in that kind of in the 40s kind yeah. of area. and this was a time when egypt's population was you know around the 20 million mark so that's quite a significant well, egypt entire yeah. really yeah. 20 million so no far... as in 1 million muslim brotherhood no, members you said 20 million people in egypt as Actually, a population as a, wow subhanallah yeah, yeah. so there's about 15 16 million just in uh, Cairo now yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's about 70 80 million population but then, subhanallah i mean i'm, I'm sure we're going to well we, we are going to touch about it afterwards i uh, you know where it sort of went wrong but i mean uh, already just for our viewers and uh, our listeners we can see that subhanallah that over 20 million population uh, country 1 million were members yet subhanallah the change 
didn't really occur, did it? In regards, I mean, if you had like you know one million out of twenty million active members, I think you know, subhanallah, you would expect some better results. But so okay, let's move on a bit now. Okay, what we can see is from what we're saying is that this this group originated, and I, I mean, we've given some information to uh, to the people listening that you know th this is where it originated from. Um, should we uh, talk about what happened? How they came into power? Yeah, it is worth mentioning that because at the beginning, Muslim Brotherhood kind of represented themselves even yeah. almost as more of a we won't get involved in the politics, we'll kind of transform people, and gradually yeah. that will have a revolutionary effect yeah. on society. So, actually, which is correct as well from an Islamic standpoint, we recognize that the Prophet ﷺ, he worked on the people, yeah. he prepared the people, and then the people seek an alternative system. So from the work of the Muslim Brotherhood as well, you can see that there was that kind of focus. And there's a kind of a common misconception that Muslim Brotherhood just target, targeted like the poor and the destitute mm -hmm. and the people of mm -hmm. major difficulty. But, but like you've already highlighted, some of who they targeted were like the doctors and the kind of more influential, influential members of society. Of society. Yeah. So they had that focus that, okay, we can have a transformative effect. But at the relevant point in time, opportunities arose where they thought, you know, we, we need to take those opportunities. And well, there was one opportunity which might be worth talking about. You know, um, is in regards to the opportunity with uh, Jamal Abdul Nasser. You know, because this is not the first time where uh, the Muslim Brotherhood flirted with power. You know, we see that uh, in fact they were played by Jamal Abdul Nasser to come into power to remove the the the, the current leadership. And after they came into the after they supported him, basically he had a, he clamped down on them. You know. Um. So in 52, uh, fantastic point that you make there actually. So in 1952, the colonial rule ended um, and uh, it was a group of officers known as the Free Officers Movement. Um, and they did use the Islamic sentiment on the ground. It was required in order to push through the end of colonial rule. Um, and in fact, the later on president, uh, Anwar al-Sadat, uh, was the liaison officer between the free officers and uh, Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood. So it kind of shows that uh, uh, talking with these kind of organizations early on was taking place and that without uh, these people taking power, i.e. people like uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser, that the Islamic sentiment was used and it, w it was required in order to push through. Even though we know that really with, with Nasser, he actually used the uh, Arab nationalism uh, as soon as he came into power, he used that as a way to galvanize his uh, popularity and support. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely um, one of the things. But I think one of the things that you've just mentioned there is that uh, Muslim Brotherhood has a long history, uh, but also that whenever someone has come into power, someone like Nasser, someone where they were used, that begs the question to me is that maybe they weren't as astute as, as was required. So, on the one hand, they were doing so much good work in terms of the social aspects of things. But in the political sphere and the political arena, there seems to be uh, some sort of naivety taking place there. Um, because as soon as this happened, believe it or not, in 54, uh, a lot of the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood were uh, jailed for uh, assassination attempts apparently that were taking place or, and so it kind of shows that they when we look back in history we can easily judge that it looks like they were set up or they were used 
or they had too much popularity. These are some of the reasons why you would be, you wouldn't allow an organization like that to flourish. Uh, because I can imagine there must have been some concessions or some deals to be have made uh, in order for them to, but if popularity increases, uh, but this was quite evident that a lot of the leadership in 54 had been jailed or put in jail or had been killed off or murdered as well. And to be fair, even like some of the foreign think tanks and things, this was a time when obviously Britain was still had more prem- dominance on the international stage. There was things that was being said that this mass movement, even though it was a social movement, mm-hmm. is having a significant impact in a strategic area of the Middle East. So they recognise that yeah. regardless of the group itself looking for power, actually the fact that they were able to, you know, have an influence on society, there was a threat there. Yeah. So w- that threat is what led some of the external powers to say, mm-hmm. we need to be able to control this organization such that, you know, if, if kind of a, a Islamic, full Islamic a re- a revival occurs and people really warm to this, you know, we need ways of disuniting them. We need ways of highlighting that even though they say their methodology is non-violent, they were directly linked to violent acts, which then actually had an impact on mm-hmm. their, you know, pe- people's view of the Muslim Brotherhood. So this was happening during this time. Yes, they had a lot of support, but actually there were elements where they were being util- used or at least at times even controlled. controlled so yeah. it, it is worth kind of mentioning that as they progressed over over the years. Just to add as well uh, that the reason why uh, you said uh, the, the foreign powers may be concerned is because Egypt has been known as the loudspeaker of the Arab world, i.e. what trends in Egypt generally, I don't know if it's the case now, but this certainly was the case, what trends in Egypt trends across the Muslim world, the Arab world especially. So hence why this we can see that, you know, um, offshoots or members of the Muslim Brotherhood were, you know, uh, present in places like Jordan, in uh, in all, all, all around the Arab world because it sort of spread. Okay, let's move on then. What we do know is that, you know, um, Mohammed Mursi was the first democratically, and the reason why I emphasize on that, because it's very important, we'll come, <coughs> come to that, first uh, president, okay? Um, and we see that, subhanAllah, even when the uh, 2012 uh, presidential campaign, some of the things that Mursi was saying, Mohammed Mursi, for example, he said, I hope the people will choose me, an Islamist candidate from the Freedom and Justice Party and Muslim Brotherhood. And God willing, the system will move towards stability and development. And we do know that even though he wasn't the uh, initial uh, candidate, uh, chosen candidate, uh, and the, the uh, initial candidate was uh, Harit al-Shatir, uh, we see that uh, he was chosen uh, by this group and they won the elections. And to be honest with you, this wasn't surprising because many years before the Americans you know, used to say that if there was ever a, a democratic election in, in Egypt, then the Muslim Brotherhood would win. Okay, so we know that they won. Um, so in a way, let's let's put it this way. Okay, they they, they had issues with uh, Jamal Abdel Nasser that failed. Yeah. Okay, from 1928, 2012 now, now we can say that the Muslim Brotherhood came to power. Correct. Yeah, they came to power. It's not hiding. This is yeah. the fact. Okay, so let's discuss what went wrong because this is key this is key for us to actually learn from uh, the, mistakes, the lessons yeah. as, as an ummah what we can take that from an organization which had true grassroots influence over the muslims in that area that in one year mm-hmm. they failed miserably 
to the to the extent that many of those people who actually supported them in those elections correct uh, turned them turned yeah. against yeah. them. So let's discuss what happened. What went wrong for Muhammad Mursi and the Muslim Brotherhood? You know what I would say first is just it is based on the question, but you know even just to look slightly back, you know you said that the that he wasn't the first choice. Yeah. Yeah. And Al Shatta was the first choice. It was interesting what Al Shatta said afterwards. Yeah, he said and because it at the time we might have thought oh it's just kind of sour grapes and stuff like that, but now you can see this is almost exactly what happened. He says the military council who were real he recognized are the real power brokers mm-hmm. in Egypt. The military council in my opinion is not serious about the handover of power, but is looking for a figure that it can control behind the curtains. That's what he said. And on top of that, even he was disqualified. I think something obscure, like I think he was in prison yeah. um, not so long before. So therefore, they said, oh, you haven't been out of prison long enough. Yeah, so we that, need yeah. to take yeah. you. And then the other um, brother who was um, there as well, Abu Ismail, and he was, because his, I think, had Egyptian and American citizenship, sure. they said, oh, you've got dual citizenship. We'll move you from power. So it's very interesting that, you know, at the 11th hour, they removed people who are more prominent in them to become into power and then replaced that all naturally the natural replacement was Mursi mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting because as we'll speak about you know what happened afterwards and who really was in control and who influenced you can see how conveniently they removed people that they recognized would have a certain type of impact in order to be able to more strategically control so that that I think is very important just to highlight and also very quickly is that they were called the Freedom and Justice Party, as you said. Again, the Muslim Brotherhood had this stance that we they, they had to resign from the Muslim Brotherhood and therefore stand as Justice and Freedom Party within the democratic system. So there's all these little things that I mean, make I'm, you highlight I have, that. I have my own theories on that as well. Look look at the look at the, the name change itself. Mm. You know, the Muslim Brotherhood that it's it's a universal concept, Muslim Brotherhood. There's no boundaries on that. It's, it's global for Muslims to think I'm Muslim, <laughs> the fellow Muslim is my brother. But to have the name change as well, and, you know, the Freedom and Justice Party, it seems like that was also something maybe, Allah Alam, whether it was coined together specifically to restrict that kind of sentiment increasing globally and within Egypt itself. Within Egypt itself, because obviously everyone has an affiliation with Muslim. If your next door neighbor is a Muslim, you're a Muslim yeah. at the end. There's an affiliation towards that. So I, I think from that aspect of it, but again, uh, there were, th- that's not the only, the no. first time. I think that issue came about because they recognized that they didn't want to make it too, you know, it was obvious to the yeah. powers that be that they are Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah. Everybody knows yeah. that that's what they represent, but they wanted to show that, look, you know, we are going to partake in the democratic system yeah. and, you know, we want to detach that from the Muslim Brotherhood. So, but, you know, it, I don't think it really had too much of a bearing, but it's just worth, it's interesting mm-hmm. to know that. But you know, what's also interesting is, you know, you say, we're talking about Mus- um, Mohammed Mursi and we're talking about the sentiment, if you link it to the sentiment on the ground now as people <clears throat> reacting to his death, it's because regardless of whether he was, you know, you described him at the beginning, whether he was, you know, this person that people can naturally warm to, but actually some of his characteristics were were quite akin to what you would want in a leader. You know, he was hifs of, of Quran, he was he was regularly regularly going to Fajr prayer, he was you know, he said the Adhan during a speech, he said the quote that you mentioned yeah. about you know, about the Quran being our constitution, about the Prophet being our leader. So he mentioned all of those things and he had those qualities to make sure that, you know, 
even those little ones, you know, when we look, read the stories of Umar, we talk about, you know, the fact that he was going around in society and there was that, that, that person who, you know, didn't have any food or some, I think his, his wife was expecting and he went and cooked food at the house. And so, you know, looking after society. So there was examples now of, of Mursi dri- driving down the street and finding there was a homeless person and going, why are you homeless? And then homing them. Yeah. There was an example whereby, that you know he you know the salary that he took he was willing to take like something like ten thousand dollars a year or something a salary yeah. and to the extent that afterwards it was found that all the salary that he gained was in his bank account and it hadn't been used used yeah. so there's these little traits that as Muslims we recognize as the traits mm. of the great leaders mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking for in a leader so there's this natural kind of sadness about someone like that in power wanting to implement Islam but but then failing but having some of these traits that we're looking for this, in a leader this, this is true and subhanAllah it's, it's you know it just goes to show that you know uh, he was a good person but what I want to tackle now I think is what we want to tackle is what happened what went wrong because you know whether the, whether he was good in this way you're saying the reality is is that that's not the reason why um, it failed this project failed that's not the reason you know um because we even know that subhanallah, you know, there's hadith of the Prophet when he said when he said that you'll have good leaders, you have you'll have bad leaders. You know, just because someone's a good pers- has a good personality, it doesn't mean you're gonna be successful. And just because someone may have a bad personality, it doesn't mean you're gonna fail. Okay. But what I would say is that, you know, we can talk about many things in regards to the brotherhood uh, as a group, why their failure in a sense, in my opinion, why their failure was inevitable. But I think even going even before that, I think what we have to understand as Muslims is that the the real reason. Okay, I think there's many reasons. So I'm not even say the real reason, but I would say a big reason of why they failed, Subhanallah, was because they came to power in a project that was purely American yeah. and was micromanaged managed in a way that it was inevitable that they were going to come into power. So as Muslims, I think we should we should first understand that the Arab Spring itself, you know, this spring that was going to, and, and some even described as the Blessed Revolution. I think first and foremost, what we have to understand is that you know uh, the hope would have been of honey and milk from the excrement. You know, I might be a hardcore example, but you know, what we have to understand is that you know all the events that led to the brother coming to power. Let's discuss this, inshallah was something which the brotherhood himself were not in control. You mentioned that, but I think you still need to look at it some historical perspective as well. It's a fantastic point that you've made, but this isn't the first time the brotherhood have flirted with no, power. That's fine, that's fine. I'm, we will come to the yeah. brotherhood. But what I'm trying, what I think the first most important thing is, whether it's brotherhood yeah. or whether it was any hood, yeah. okay? Um, what we have to understand is that, you know, or even if it was a group which in itself on paper had the correct methodology that's correct what i'm saying is that before before we have to understand is that the whole uh, plan the whole project of the arab spring was something which was uh, set about which was planned in the white house so for us to expect any victory from this for islam would have been naive uh, and foolish so I think first point is to really address, and whether we want to go into detail, we don't really yeah. want to go into too much detail. It's not the detail element, I think it's the element of exactly what you said. The reason why I'm, I'm highlighting on uh, Brotherhood right now is to say that 
it's more to do with the organizations. When you're an organization that's been around for 80 years and you've been calling for power, wanting to be into power, wanting to be into power, and you're not getting it, my issue is, is that that's when you start cutting corners. That's when you start making uh, pragmatic moves. And when you don't see the results of going 5% pragmatic, then you say, well, what about if we push it up to 10%? What about if we make uh, concessions here? What about if we change slightly on this element? And then what you've, what you've actually found is where you've started off as an organization, you've moved completely off the curve. What you've said is obviously, is that engineered now? Is that where you've been guided by foreign powers, by America in this case, which is the obviously global superpower at the moment, which is fine. My element is that this was done a long time ago. So it wasn't necessarily it was that, done that's, now. That's fine. Okay, so I, I guess you really want to speak about brotherhood, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what, for the record, the point I'm trying to say is that the Arab Spring yeah. was engineered by the West, Absolutely, by yeah. America. And that's the first point of failure yeah. in the in the Muslim Brotherhood project. Not like the group that was came from 1928. Correct. I'm talking yeah. about the, the year they were in power. Mm-hmm. We have to acknowledge and it has to be clear because there may be some naive Muslims out there mm. who still believe that this is blessed revolution or that this was somehow the will of the people. That's the first point. Right. And inshallah, maybe in the future, if there's an appetite from our viewers and listeners, we could dedicate uh, a whole podcast to to show uh, the proof of why the Arab Spring was engineered. So let's, okay, we've got Arab Spring. Out okay. Yeah. So let's speak about brotherhood. Yeah. Let's speak about their methodology. Yeah. And let's speak about their pragmatism. Yeah. Yeah. So just one thing to quickly mention as well. I think that forms part of two kind of axes of what, the way to look at it, yeah? There's the methodology that a party uses, yeah. whatever that is, in order to, you know, establish Islam or get into power or kind of fulfill their objectives. There's the methodology, but then there's also the, the existing system and how it protects itself from something else coming in place that is dominant over it. So I would almost say that where they went wrong is not viewing these two things. So those two factors, and one of them you probably can split into two, but it's almost like the system that is there, which is a democratic system, which is a capitalist system, has certain checks and balances in place to prevent that even if someone comes into power which opposes their worldview, how to control it. And again, that does link back to Arab Spring, does link back to the Greater Middle East Initiative and all of the plans that are already hatched by world superpowers in order to make sure that the change cannot happen comprehensively from an Islamic point of view at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing, uh, the first thing I mentioned is that the methodology that the group uses or the people use. So in the case of the Muslim Brotherhood, and they will agree with this themselves, their methodology is one of gradualism. Yeah. yeah? So we, I think we need to talk about both. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's genuine checks and balances in a capitalist system and we saw that firsthand how quickly they were within a year a group that had existed what 80 90 years was able to completely be overturned Overturned, whereas you know all of that effort and why was that because and we'll talk about it i'm sure there's a deep state at work here that was able to overcome them yeah okay Let's talk about gradualism. Okay. So what we're saying is that the 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 methodology of the Muslim brother gradualism. Very quickly, let's explain what do we mean by the what do we mean by gradualism. So, to kind of capture it in one point is the easiest way to look at it is that it promotes, and this is why it's problematic. Yeah, and I don't know if that's what you want to start on. The reason why gradualism is problematic is it allows you to implement kufr for a period of time 
before full implementation of mm-hmm. Islam. So it almost says you start off with a little bit of Islam mm-hmm. because that's all you can yeah. really shoot. It's the analogy of like a wedge, thin and not well, of a wedge. You're talking about in power. So what you're talking about is getting to power yeah. and then slowly. There's two sides. Even before that. Yeah, even before that. So the whole uh, concept of gradualism, even before getting into power, is you have to make concessions. You have to make concessions to be part of the process. So the Muslim Brotherhood were doomed to fail before they even started no, in this process. No, but we're talking about the gradualist approach. Yeah. And this is the uh, uh, same as in President Erdogan in uh, in Turkey as well. Is And if you speak to people who are Ikhwani uh, uh, yeah. mentality, is you will see when they talk about gradualism, what they talk about is getting to power oh, yeah. and slowly yeah. uh, bring about. And that's why when, you see, when people speak about President Erdogan, they will say that look how it, during his time, he's changed certain rules and laws so 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 that's what i'm talking about about the graduates I'm, t- I'm talking about i.e when you get into power so what's wrong with this approach you know so that's what i was talking about yeah. so rather than once before power yeah. when you're in power an analogy is like the thin end of a wedge yeah is you get in the door okay. you implement a little bit because you can't implement all of sharia it's not it's not going to be allowed and then you gradually add more you gradually add more of islam eventually you have all of islam mm. so that's like the gradualist approach yeah, and, and the view that, from the point of view is, they'll give Sharia evidence of it, is that, okay, because certain rules were revealed to the Prophet ﷺ gradually over time, yeah. then that, w- that way, let's implement <laughs> some elements, let's get into power because there's no other way of getting into power, or that's the pragmatic kind of viewpoint, is that when we're in power, as the Prophet ﷺ, you know, brought revelation gradually, or Allah sent it down, then all of Islam will be implemented eventually. But where that's problematic is the whole of the deen has already been revealed. Rules, yeah. We're told that it's it's perfect. All of the rules, all of the Sharia rules are there. So to almost get into power inside a system which is completely non-Islamic to the extent that it's outright kufr because you're implementing rules that make man sovereign, that man-made laws, then what you're doing is you're putting Allah's laws side by side with man-made laws and this is where it's problematic because you're actually saying we have to actively ourselves as muslims implement non-islamic laws whilst we gradually bring the other laws in whilst there are people on the ground that voted us in because we were participating in democracy which allows us to say well we will give you your rules as well because some of the people who voted us in might not be kind of islamists but they want to change but all of a sudden we're not going to listen to you now because we're gradually trying to get towards all of islam and this is where i think it's both problematic and it also highlights a bit of the methodology that they follow so for the the just to sort of like um summarize the the gradualistic method so what we're saying is that uh, let's not even discuss the practicality of it from a Sharia point of view, we know that this is uh, not allowed. Absolutely Firstly, not. because as you mentioned, the deen is complete now. You can't use the example that the rules are coming. But what we can see is that even at the, even if you want to go back to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, we see that, uh, yeah, the rules came gradually. But once the rules came down, they were uh, implemented straight away. Okay, so you can't use that, Without that, delay. that angle. And also in the past, I've heard where people have talked about... Um, uh, Prophet uh, Dawood al-Islam Prophet Yusuf al-Islam That he worked in the system yeah. But as Muslims we know That the Sharia of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam You know so abrogates All the Sharias before So for those people at that time It was different And and for us it's different today So this is clear yeah? Not only that but It's an excellent point To answer this question In effect 
Rasulullah answers it and the life of Rasulullah answers it because he was offered power he was offered these positions he was even offered you rule for one year we'll rule for one year and Rasulullah was such a statesman if that case was it would have been that okay I will take power for a year I will show the beauty of the people of Islam and they will automatically flock towards it so why didn't this take place because Rasulullah understood you can't do this and this is an order from Allah to make sure Islam was dominant. So not you don't mix and match. It's not like you know you mix and match and whatever decides and the people decide on what was right for them, etc. It wasn't a case of that. They offered Rasulullah some power. He rejected it. And you know what the beauty of that example is? Is he was offered to implement all of his deen. And this is where the gradualist <laughs> approach is. You have to implement some of it and then somehow convince people yeah. that you, what you signed up for, you're not going to get that, but you're going to get what we gradually try and implement over yeah. you. So it's a beautiful example. So, so what we see is... A, the methodology of gradual implementation is erroneous, is un-Islamic. Yeah. And then we see uh, the you know a deadly cocktail of uh, gradual implementation, of pragmatism. That's right. And we, in a way, we can describe the one year of Muhammad Mursi and Muslim brother in power in that way. It was a deadly cocktail because even if you look at the statements made before they came into power <laughs> to the statements they made in power we see subhanallah they were different i mean i've got some here i'm not, I'm not going to read them out but in regards to uh, the issue of uh, palestine and the regards to the issue of uh, of the israelis subhanallah you know uh, we see that there was so much so so much pragmatism that it was unbelievable from a stage of you know uh, as in uh, before yeah i think he said things power. like the Zionists have no right to in the land, land of, of Palestine. Palestine. Yeah. He said things like the land of Palestine belongs to the Palestinians, not to the Zionists. He even went as far as calling the Zionists bloodsuckers. Yeah, so bloodsuckers, warmongers, and descendants. There's, there's, of one, there, there's one I really clearly want to say, and I have to say it to be honest with you. And it was he said we must confront the Zionist entity. All ties of all kinds must be severed with this plundering criminal entity which is supported by America and its weapons as well as its own nuclear weapons. You know, that's a profound, deep statement to say against uh, Israel and against America itself. So this was pre-election. This was to, to what the, the sentiment was on the ground. So you, you've, you've, you've given that quote, and I'll give you a quote from October 2012, yeah. uh, where Mohammed Morsi wrote a friendly letter to uh, the Israeli president, Shimon Peres at the time. Yeah where um, he called Shimon Peres a great and good friend. Yeah. And he went on to call for maintaining and strengthening the cordial relations which so happily exist between our two countries. Yeah. Subhanallah. You know, the point is, is we know, and, and I, I can say this hand on heart, that the real Muhammad Mursi was the one you were quoting. Yeah. Not this, the one That's I correct. just quoted. Yeah. But this just goes to show. Show, yeah. This goes to show that pragmatism when you're pragmatic yeah. and your methodology is not on the if you're not on the correct methodology, then this is the result. Yeah. And this is not to have a dig at someone or a dig at a no, group no, as such, no. but it's trying to highlight that you know the checks and balances and the preservation that the capitalist system and the democratic system has, what it does is rather than you changing that system, that system changes you. Because you're always starting to think, you know what? I can't say certain things now mm -hmm. that I said before because mm -hmm. now I have to work within this construct that I've been put inside. And even then, after working within that construct, look what happened. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. That's what's that's what's incredible. And that, so, and that year was such a such a, a short space of time where I personally know when I personally spoke to to people I know in Egypt who had turned around and said that this is the group that you know I had so much respect and support for. 
and they weren't uh, Islamists, but they just genuinely had respect and support yeah. for, and they turned their back on them yeah. because they were waiting for four hours in a queue for a petrol. Uh, things which were seen as normal for them before in the past and now they had to wait around for certain things even food prices bread you know and these were engineered these were engineered by the west when you know, Muhammad Mursi was uh, phoning the oil minister and he's turned off the taps for the petrol and oil to be <laughs> distributed to the petrol stations you know these these were plans that had been laid down and i think uh, not foreseeing or not having a proper plan in place for when you are in power I think that's also the element of the, the whole gradualism, the pragmatic nature. Oh, we'll deal with it when we're in power. No, a true political power, a true political party has this plan already in place to, when, when they are in power. Whereas he was doing moves, he was fighting fire. You know, moving one military general, moving somebody else, putting somebody else in place, changing that power. Yeah, and this comes down to the fact that those checks and balances that are there are making sure that you're still linked to the World Bank, for example, yeah. financially. You're still linked to other, you know, powers, other colonialist powers from a fuel point of view, yeah. you know, fuel, yeah. the economy point of view. So what a lot of what's happening is, yes, you've come into power within that system, but now you have to comply by the UN. And all of these other tools that we know, these are tools... Uh colonialist west that's or right. the colonialist powers imperialist powers so you know when those tools are there you're and then you're willing to work within that system yeah. no matter how much influence you have and we're talking about like you said back in the 40s for a million people yeah. again today again there's probably going to be more isn't it at that time yeah. so at the end of the day to have that much influence in terms of support what was it 14 51 percent of the vote 51 percent of the vote yeah and people you know in today's reality look at brexit and things like that how many people turn out to vote yeah and then actually at that time the voting figures were astronomical mm -hmm. only western countries would kind of wish for voting figures mm -hmm. of that kind of level yeah so you look at the fact that democratically elected yeah. yet after a year where are they and also you know subhanallah you know that some of them, unlike you know, uh, I think uh, Rush has made the comment, and and we need to make this clear that you know this isn't a case of just bashing a particular person. No, no. Here no, we're speaking no. about you know on th and things which are uh, for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Of course. But what we see is you know there were uh, clearly mistakes made, but there's some of those things. I.e., we see that the Muslim Brotherhood wasn't someone wasn't an organization that came about in the last ten years. Mm -hmm. It had been there since 1928. It had seen what happened when it, you know, f uh, flirted with uh, Jamal Abdul Nasser and these things. So now, when you are in power, and you know you don't, um, and, and Subhanallah, at that time, many people were actually uh, were forecasting that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood would. Uh, you know, uh, terminate ties with Israel. That never happened. We see that Subhanallah. You know, um, they had. You know, well, he was the president, so he had to have relationships with the, the Americans. Mm -hmm. And Subhanallah, we know uh, what the Americans were were like. We even know uh, that even the last moments of his power. You know, when An An Patterson he gave him the ultimatum: Look, you can keep your role, but you will have no power. Okay, the prime minister will be the one with the real power, right? Um, and you, we can see that this was. Uh, them trying to promote their participatory democracy type of methodology, right? Uh, but we see that right until that stage, you know, these are the same people you were dealing with for a year. And not just that, we know that you know what happened in Syria was an extension of the Arab Spring. 
So when Subhanallah, you know, uh, uh, Muhammad al-Mursi, when he was, uh, when for example, in, in uh, on 15th of June 2013, he attended an, uh, a rally uh, for uh, jihad in Syria. When Subhanallah, uh, he said that uh, he called the sports of Bashar al-Assad infidels. Okay, uh, and he also it says here Mursi announced the, at the rally that his government had expelled Syria's ambassador and closed the Syrian embassy in Cairo. Called and check this part called for international intervention on behalf of the opposition forces in the effect of an establishment of a no-fly zone. Subhanallah. You know, he this was, and we know now, okay, probably say it's hindsight, yeah? But we know now that exactly what happened and, and in Syria, you know, it could not have happened had the very first years there hadn't been this call for the jihadis to go to Syria to prolong this war. Okay, it was impossible. So, but here, when Muhammad Mursi is calling for international intervention, you know, and calling for a no-fly zone, who's going to uh, implement this no-fly zone? It would have been, for example, the Americans, the British, etc. So, you know, Subhanallah, you know, these, you know, uh, we will say these are mistakes. Some would argue that these were crimes. I'm not going to go as far as to saying that. But you know, some of these these mistakes that we see, but at the same time, I know Shaz, you want to say something, but what <laughs> I want to do is I want to be balanced in the fact that I'm not going to go through these, but we see that uh, Muhammad Mursi, whilst he's in power, he did try to do a few maneuvers. Okay, he did try, you know, he went up against, uh, uh, from their point of view, Tantawi, yeah, he yeah. replaced him. Yeah. Obviously replaced him, put, uh, General Sisi there. That didn't work out well. But we see that, you know, uh, he did try a few things. Um, he tried to shuffle things around. He put key people which were linked to Islamic uh, Muslim Brotherhood into uh, certain key positions. So, I mean, it go, I mean, maybe we've already addressed this, i.e. in regards to the gradual implementation. But we can, you can see that to a certain degree, he was maneuvering himself and the, his government uh, for a long-term type of change. Again, Maj, it's, 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 what, it's what you've mentioned. Yes, but it's still part of the gradualist movement. Once you've gone down that road, it's very hard to now move back onto the right path. You've actually moved onto that, that stream. You, it's pr- virtually impossible now. If you've already said, this is the methodology that we're going to adopt. This is the, what your members are now used to. This is what the people are seeing that you're part and parcel of. To now move 50% away and say, right, okay, we're going to do it exactly this way. From Sharia, this is exact. This isn't what you've uh, encouraged the people and especially the people within the political framework who've given you power, who you've been talking to. So my argument is that as a political organization, you need to be astute. You need to be ahead of the game and understand that none of these uh, foreign powers are here to help you. How can it be that as a Muslim ummah, as an Islamic party, that we would recognize, knowing that we have the vast knowledge of history from the time of Rasulullah Sallam till the destruction of the Islamic State, that we've seen what their plans are, we've seen what their actions are, we've seen their murdering and their plundering and their killings globally against the children of the ummah. So how can you not foresee this? This is my biggest qualm is with any organization. How can you not see that? How can you not see that? And then you fall into the trap. Then surely that's a mistake that you have to take responsibility for as an organization. You know, I think uh, power, power is uh, 
uh, addictive power is something you know, hmm. the, the lure of of power and and to believe and the thing is is that if your methodology itself is gradual implementation if your methodology is pragmatism then you know the example you gave of uh, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam the messenger when uh, the Quraysh approached him you know he was uh, you know he he didn't compromise yeah, steadfast okay? <laughs> so we see here that there was compromise and the reality also suggests i mean you know i think uh, one thing that we need to make clear and i think you guys already touched on it, and rash mentioned the deep state i.e. the real rulers and the deep state you know would be made up of the uh, mubarak uh, era politicians the army the judiciary the media and what we see and and even uh, we can acknowledge the muslim brothers would acknowledge that muhammad mursi uh, did not have control over these institutions no. and in reality at that stage now you know if you were ideological you know and maybe you might say it's easy for me saying this sitting here but i think if you're ideological you've come you've uh, been elected a huge mandate you've been elected by you know a big population so you have popular support you got to admit you have popular support now you come into power okay i out of naivety you participate in the democratic system which is un islamic anyway right you come into power at that stage when you realize actually this is a farce i don't even have the real power at that stage you have two options one is just go all out and just do a purge okay or the other option is to backtrack and say you know what i'm going to we'll tell our supporters that this is all a setup it's a farce let's go back to our you know if i feel if i feel that if i don't go if i feel that if i went hardcore on on and did a purge that the people wouldn't back me then that means that i don't really have that popular support i need for that real change okay so either you go for that purge or you backtrack and say let me build that real popular support so that we can we can face these people uh you know uh, full on and we will need you can't do that without the masses so you know what I'm saying yeah but the all like i said the whole uh, foundation of the group is already built upon gradualism that's why my my me highlighting that in the past was to say that mm. look they as a movement they believed in gradualism so when they've come into power they've now it's a question of it's worked Gradualism has worked, worked for us. Yeah. You know, whether it's 80 years or 50 years or 10 years or 5 years it's irrelevant. For them, the victory is that yeah, it works. We, we you know, this method has worked for us. Yeah. So let's stick with it. A good example of that is that like I say to give some credit first, the good example of that is that it's only been recently announced that or someone put it on their on their I think Facebook or Twitter or something like this. So one of the the scientists um nuclear scientists in 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 Abdul Pakistan Qadir, yeah. yeah and what he said is at the time and this wasn't that well known is that Morsi was able to do a deal with Russia for power, for um, energy yeah and he was able to say that with nuclear power we'll be able to satisfy all of our energy requirements all to the Africa. extent that yeah. such a good deal that in three years time there was supposed to be another plant put in place that would give them enough power not only to satisfy their own but also to supply a lot of Africa so all of a sudden economically that would have a massive bearing so there was these other little strategies they were trying because like you say it's that gradualist approach of going we're in power now what can we do to solve some of those problems but still engage in that same framework yeah, but so, what happened when what happened when when news of these got out internally say within the political spheres because you're in the system the moment news came out of it the west turns its exactly. screw and it collapses yeah and that's why it's linked with the deep state thing isn't it because say that let's give complete um 
thingy of doubt to the to um, the Muslim Brotherhood. Give them the benefit of the doubt and say, look, you had these other strategies in place. You said you were going to provide. So economically, that was going to going to help. But the fact that, like you said, they were able. To, he was able to remove Tantawi, but Sisi was there. Just how deep rooted is America's influence mm-hmm. on that society? So that when you come into power, mm-hmm. to not appreciate that there are people there that. The military, they already said, check. yeah, and mm-hmm. even if the, if Al Shatta had said, somebody also of Muslim Brotherhood had already said that, look, the, the military council controls, you yeah. don't control. So that means they know. Yeah. It's not that they don't know yeah. who the real power is. It's not that you get into power and go, oh, okay, I know CC's on my side. I know they're on my side. Yeah. Let's carry on and gradually no, no. we'll get, you know, yeah. we'll bring them on board. You know that they're against you. So, you yeah. know America are in control, yeah. yet you still don't do anything. And, and also, what I would add to that, and actually the point that I made about you have these two options, I think that when you're in that situation, I think you'd only have that um, that mindset if you're ideological in the first place. And what I mean by that, and, and actually this is what both of you guys have said, is the fact that when they got into power, this was all of the plan. Because when, because of gradualism, when you in gradualism, you're acknowledging that I can't change everything at once. So you're acknowledging that there's these obstacles, right? But obviously, the obstacles were too too powerful for them to remove. And to be honest with you, that, that actual, not is it just not practical, what we would say is that, and what Sharia says is un-Islamic. And to expect the victory for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through something which is un-Islamic is, is not really uh, something that's going to happen. And I think that's the key point that you're talking about. Is if, it's, if it's non-Islamic, how can you ever get to an Islamic solution? And that's why I want to uh, lead on to the next point, inshallah ta'ala, and just a few more points, uh, you know, uh, and, and is that what they should, obviously we know the democratic system is something which is, uh, is, is kufr, yeah, i.e. where man is the legislator, you know, man's aql is the, is the legislator, right? But subhanallah, you know, if, if that wasn't already understood clearly, right, and maybe the gradual uh, approach allows you to, you know, to accept this, uh, fact, you don't accept that you, you don't acknowledge that it's Islamic, but you you accept the factor to change it. We need to get into it, okay? But what we see is that, and maybe this is good uh, a good moment to highlight to our you know uh, listeners is that look at the hypocrisy of democracy, mm-hmm. and that even rhymed, right? <laughs> that Subhanallah, look at this. The fact that you know how many more lessons, even if it wasn't from the 1992 from FIS in Algeria. Yeah. Okay, where at that time I couldn't find the quote, but I remember this quote uh, uh, hearing it many years ago where someone in the West, when just for our listeners, you know, there were a uh, first round of elections in Algeria and the FIS, which were the, you could probably even say like the Muslim Brotherhood equivalent yeah. of Algeria, they won the elections. And what happened was the military came in and disbanded the elections, right? Another time there was a statement made by one of the uh, uh, Western politicians where he said, sometimes to be democratic, you need to be undemocratic. Okay, so what we see from this, you know, we see that this didn't happen. So, you know, here we see a situation where you have, and, and that's why it's important, and why I want to mention this is because what we've been seeing, and I think this is a plot in itself, that what we, what there's been a big pro, uh, promotion uh, of Muhammad Mursi being the first democratic elected, okay. right? And what this does is that, you know, for the normal Muslim who sees this, you think, yeah, man, he was legitimate. That's right. But why was he legitimate? Because he was the first democratically, democratically yeah. elected. So even though their agents or the, the the military who removed him, yeah. they want to still promote that 
legitimacy is through democracy. That's right. We see that even the final days of the brotherhood, even their call was legitimacy, legitimacy based on that they were democratically elected. But what we see from this subhanallah is that the hypocrisy is where they were elected, right? Even Hamas were democratically elected, right? <laughs> but when it comes down to what their plan is and what their objectives are, you know, they allowed the military to come in. And subhanAllah, a lot of people around the world were looking to America, looking to the Brit- to Britain. How are they going to react to this coup? Yeah. And what did they do? SubhanAllah, they did not come to save the Brotherhood. They did not come to save Mursi, even though they were, from their point of view, following their methodology of democracy. They would be coming to protect democracy, they but they didn't come. Why? Think about this Brexit thing. With what these politicians always keep saying, oh, you know, uh, the democratic will of the people. If we don't have the will of the people, if we don't have Brexit, this would be the death of democracy. I, we need to, we need to honor these, this, this, yeah, yeah, this the will uh, of the people, vote yeah, yeah. because people democratically. So here you had someone who was democratically elected, who actually had, uh, from what I read, good sort of relations with people like Barack Obama. You know, he was. I think even till the last day he was removed, I think that morning he had a conversation, telephone conversation with Obama. And the fact that Ann Patterson gave them their ultimatum, which meant that Obama already knew that morning yeah, yeah, yeah. or what was going to happen yeah. to him or what the ultimatum was. Yeah. Yet, subhanAllah, you know, we see that they turned their back. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, you know, that, that you, can, you cannot take the kuffar as awliya. Oh, yeah. You cannot trust these people, yeah. you know. But certainly, I think it's important. And I think I personally felt it's important to mention this, this the hypocrisy of democracy at this point. For those Muslims out there who think yeah. that by partici- yeah. participating in this system, that they could bring any betterment for Islam or the Muslims. It's fantastic point there. But when anything takes place globally, uh, politically, in any landscape, and when you find that it doesn't serve the American interests or Western powers' inf- uh, interests, they're on the news. They're on, their media machine is out there speaking out against it. What a terrible travesty this is. When the military took over in Egypt, America didn't speak. There was no travesty there. This is democracy. This is what they wanted. The beacon of, uh, of power for them is democracy. So now why didn't they speak out against it? What, you know, our viewers and listeners should think about this. Why didn't the Western powers speak out against this? And this isn't the first time or the first country this has happened in. It's happened in Pakistan. When Pakistan, when General Musharraf took power, it was a military coup. Um, and then a few years later, people started saying, we need the civilian government back. We need a civilian government back through the democratic process. And then it becomes a norm in the mindset of people. With Egypt, they've just gone back to it. And most people will even comment, it's worse than the Mubarak era. You know, you've replaced it with a dictator who was worse than Mubarak, etc. So what will they call back for? Because you've made it worse than it was before in Mubarak's uh, days of power, you'll say, well, we want a civilian government now. So you've already created the atmosphere for exactly what you've said is a democratic process to take place. Okay, it might not be the Muslim Brotherhood, but a democratic party with a slight flavor of Islamic sentiment may be the next step in their strategy. Of, of removing or in, removing the influence of military. And we've seen it in other countries. In Turkey, for example, how the removal of the influence of the military has taken place. And it took them 20 years to do that. To slowly put those uh, cogs of democracy into the system and into society. Whereas before, the military in Turkey, if we wanted to remove a government, it'd be done in five minutes. 
That's it. And really, that needs to be the takeaway point for a lot of people who listen to the podcast and things is that you have to recognize that this is what they're trying to export into our lands, mm. this concept of democracy. Democracy is supposed to highlight the value of justice because that a dem- democracy is supposed to be just. It's supposed to be something that the people vote for. So you're voting for this. But what do we actually see? Even in the Western lands, People wouldn't be voting for poverty in Western countries. You've got the most poverty in Western countries that has ever occurred. Is that what people want? So you're talking about you're voting in a democracy for solving the solutions of people, yet it, they're not solving their own solutions. The the people that, from the point of view, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And this is under a democracy. So then you take that and apply that to the Egyptian situation and the, and the Morsi situation. So where was your justice? Where yeah. was the fact that this person who was democratically elected and then was thrown into, into the prisons and left without even a, a fair hearing wasn't even allowed to? Apparently he had some secret, state secrets to mention just before he died. Yeah, where is the justice in all of this? And this goes to prove that outright democracy is, like you said at the beginning, a complete hypocrisy. And it's just about controlling. It's always been about controlling people and making them think they have an element of a say in matters when actually they have they have none. And that's the key point. Uh, and also, uh, I'd say that uh, just to build on what you said there, Rash, that uh, the illusion has to be there. Why? Because if we look at um, uh, the democratic process, right, it has to have input from people. So when they when the plan to remove Murs, uh, uh, Mubarak was there, it was inevitable if they had elections and they were fair elections yeah. that the Muslim Brotherhood would win. This is something that the Americans have been saying that for years. <laughs> but this was something which they, uh, at some stage we even see from American policy that there was this... Uh, uh, they were promoting what, what we could probably term as Islamists in power with no Islam. And we see this in Nahda in uh, Tunisia. And we see this in uh, what happened in Egypt. Because that void had to be filled. And what actually, subhanAllah, from what, what I read is even at that time, was that, you know, the secular parties. Because remember, the, these governments, these countries had like dictators. The secular uh, parties had no influence on the ground. So to have an election and to expect the secular parties to to win straight away, it was impossible. Okay, so the risk was taken that what we need to do is that when there's going to be elections, the Islamists are going to win. But obviously, the West understood the nature of the Muslim Brotherhood and they could see how they could have played the game and removed them. And what we saw is in one year, in one year, Subhanallah, is that they transformed. The situation of this party, the 80-year-old party, from being one where people who were coming out, not necessarily saying, I've, I've left Islam, but saying that these people are not competent enough to rule. And what we have to also mention is that the fact that this was to uh, assassinate uh, political Islam. Okay, why? Because what it was to show is that, look, yes, these people are good in the masjid. They're good in the khutbah. But when it comes to ruling and to running uh, state's affairs, they're not capable. But inshallah, what I want to do is we see what happened. We saw what happened with the brotherhood. I think before we do end, I think it's important to speak about the man who came on the scene after Muhammad Mursi and the actual subhanAllah, the man he actually uh, brought into power uh, as the head of the the military was uh, General uh, Sisi. Okay. 
because it's important that what we see, and I think Rash, uh, sorry, Shaz mentioned the point before, is that the Americans, uh, they will appoint whoever's necessary to meet their objective at that time. Whether it was bringing in uh, Zia al-Haq in Pakistan, okay, or whether it was to bring in uh, Musharraf uh, for the war on terror, um, or whether it is to bring in uh, CC as well, and this and and before I go to CC, I want to add the point that what what uh, Shaz said about the civilian rule, because what's clear here is that you know uh, they promote civil state, and civil state in fact is a secular state, but what what they can't openly say is what we call for a secular state. So what they try to trick people is a st- civil state is opposed to a military state. Okay, so when people come out and they say we want civilian rule, what they're talking about is we don't want these dictators over us. But what does the West, what does the the media shows here? The people in Sudan they're calling for democracy. The people in Egypt they're calling for man-made laws. They're not calling. You spoke to this, if you spoke to these people in person, they would say they're not calling for man-made laws. Anyway. Going off on another one, I think what we need to do is we need to sort of bring this to. But let's let's speak about General CC very very shortly. What are we saying about CC? So two aspects, I think. Again, I know I always say there's two aspects to everything. Probably there's a right and a wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so from two aspects, one one element of it is you can see, and this maybe at the time you might not have been able to kind of formulate too much of a thought on this, but now you can clearly see that he has executed the plans of of America completely so he's been able to crack down on muslim brotherhood there completely yeah. and we said just a few minutes ago i said about obviously getting rid of tantawi and still having cc there to be able to execute the plans is looks how deep-rooted american influence mm-hmm. is there he, he was able to kind of almost purge muslim brotherhood from the, the leadership leadership from senior positions mm-hmm. and you know chuck them in jail or do whatever massacre people look at those brothers that were in the courts when they were saying look we confessed but we confess because you put so much damn electricity into us, you could have lit up yeah. the whole of Egypt with that. You know, this is how those... those forced pe- confessions. Exactly, forced confessions the, were the happening. The incident in the masjid. And the incident in the masjid. So all of these um, situations, and look how, what a brutal crackdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was able to completely kind of implement what, um, you know, foreign powers wanted. But you know what's also interesting, and we can talk a little bit more about it, is that since we've now come to terms with obviously what's happening with the deal of the century and the Palestinian situation and the situation in Israel, how much more has Egypt now been able to play a role in the situation in Palestine? So actually, there's two factors. There's the factor that in Egypt he's been able to have a brutal crackdown and ensure that kind of Islamization is at a minimal, but also kind of other factors which are more foreign policy elements of Egypt or have also been able to be played out according to, you know, Kushner's plan, according to the White House, according to Donald Trump. So you're actually seeing that those plans are being played out by this person that clearly is backed by America. And also we see that, uh, you know, what he set upon himself, and there were some quotes which uh, I'm not going to mention now, uh, were basically he's saying now, wherever there's Muslim Brotherhood, and what you're going to understand is that when these people say Muslim Brotherhood, they mean anyone who has Islamic ambitions, right? They just label it as Muslim, and and that's why they can just call Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization, and then anyone they could just execute on the spot and say he's a terrorist. Well, this is what they've done. They've, They've passed laws now. Yeah. So these laws have been passed, and uh, you engineer 
some sort of uh, trouble within the country and then you can automatically because you control the state media apparatus because you you're you are the military dictator you can then force people to believe what you want them to believe and you know what's funny about that you know the when mursi passed away when he died you know the the 42 word you must have seen it the 42 word um statement statement that needed to be read out mm-hmm. was read out almost word for word by all the media station mm-hmm. to the extent that there was that one mm-hmm. uh, lady who read it out and even said um from a samsung device or something like that you just know that it's completely engineered and it's completely controlled by the west it just goes to prove that those apparatus yeah. mursi tried to remove one of the kind of the the satellite stations and stuff like that but yeah. there were still so many of the other ones that were still being controlled by the deep state the yeah. police were still being controlled by the deep state and this even this deep i know we're going off on a tangent yeah and even with, yeah. The, with the with the whole the, the deep state issue is that when you look at the military as well it's being funded by america you know it gets the tune of 1.3 billion dollars a year second most Just, yeah, only after israel yeah to 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 prop it up you look at asisi himself in 2000, in 1992 he was studying in the uk armed forces at college in 2006 he was in the us studying so the ties and links of all these militaries they all are here in the west They all sit with the West. They've so, been prepared. Yeah, they've been prepared role. for that yeah. role, prepared for that influence, and the network is, like I said, is very well deeply embedded. And so I think, like I said, the whole aspect of where we're saying they were doomed to fail because of this whole democratic process. But now you've got a, a tyrant back in place. The, the civilian population will ask for a civil government. At the, end. the 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 point I want to uh, before going off on one is the issue to do with CCSL. So what we can see is, as Rush said. Uh, we see his role in uh, the uh, in in the Sinai, okay, for the deal of the century. Because what you can understand is that because on the back of Brotherhood, by them labeling the Brotherhood Brotherhood as a terrorist organization, now basically they've labeled political Islam as a terrorist ambition, okay. So the the support he's given to General Haftar in uh, in Libya, he's saying basically wherever there's these people. I'm there to support against these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The clear and and be using using this premise also and some, some maybe some staged uh, events in the Sinai area. Basically, they've t- if you see satellite images near to the border, they've actually flattened the whole area. And you know where some of the leak about the deal of the century about these new airport and these new factories and all this in this industrial place. This is where it's going to be. Okay. You know what's interesting? You know, there's like I think regularly thirty American warships. You know, <coughs> nuclear ones kind of go through the Suez Canal pass regularly mm. so without having someone in charge in the in Egypt yeah. that can ensure that especially that increases when there's wars and things going on that Suez Canal and that access to strategic, be able to ha- yeah. is so strategic so to have like an Islamist in power who has even some ambition of doing something different cracking down they immediately realize you know this is not something we can have and getting cc in there was just to make sure that their strategic ambitions in the region especially with what we saw happened yeah. subsequently in in the likes of syria in the likes of in in all of the middle eastern um, countries then we saw that it's very strategic to make sure yeah. we ha- they had that control so the so the whole concept of trying to destroy these uh linchpin elements from islam i.e. the concept of political islam the you know now they're trying to destroy that the concept of an islamic state they've tried to destroy that so to the mindset of preparing the ummah into thinking 
no, these are uh, fantasies. These aren't things that you should be aiming for. You should be aiming for a lot lower, and that will actually give you a better life. And 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 that's why, Subhanallah, we see if somebody was to look at, okay, let's look let's look at fighting into power. Uh, okay, uh, ISIS failed. Yeah. Let's look at democratically changing the situation. Muslim Brotherhood failed. Yeah. But in, Subhanallah, this should, should actually, uh, you know, if we had all these options, but in reality, Islam only gives you one methodology. <laughs> but if someone was to believe in these, what it should do. If someone was had that sincerity about them, is to think not that it's all over because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't burden a soul with more than he can take. Is to say, okay, these were wrong then, yeah. right? Where's the right one? But inshallah Taala, let's uh, bring this to some sort of an end. Which there's still something <laughs> so very important, to, guys, yeah. that we need to address before we we end. And if we didn't, we would maybe seem as con artists. <laughs> and that is the question of. Was Muhammad Mursi assassinated? Because that is the the you know the the title, and I'm sure people watching us and listening want us to know what our opinion is on that. What I would say is that you know whether he was assassinated himself, we know that many people talk about the conditions he was left in and the conditions that he li- he was in prison. It was inevitable that you know uh, just from the human body point of view, it's only there's only a certain amount you can take. But I would say is that when we talk about assassinations, we can see that to a certain degree, the Muslim Brotherhood, an organization that had been around for, and still around to be honest with you, for almost a hundred years, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood to a certain degree was assassinated. I would say that to a certain element where um, the, the normal Muslims on the ground who want Islam to be ruled over them, the situation of Egypt today, whether it's because of the uh, economy or whether it's because of this pharaoh that's now ruling them and people are not uh, willing to speak up, you'd say that the Muslim Brotherhood project for to a certain degree has been assassinated. So, you know, in these things I can see that there has been assassinations, Mm -hmm. but my opinion, whether Muhammad Mursi was assassinated himself, you know, this is obviously something which people have different opinions on. Look, there's a there's a, a saying uh, I've heard the uh, Chinese used to have used to kill people death with a thousand cuts it was called so it's a slow death yeah so whether or not Mursi was you know shot with a bullet to the head or whether you did it over time it's still death it's still murder um, you know, this was a man uh, a Muslim who was had suffered from various illnesses he had diabetes liver failure hypertension. You know, not to be given medication, not to be, uh, you know, 23 hour lockup, not to be given the right diet for someone in that condition. Um, his family not being able to see him, you know, three visits within six years. So it kind of shows you that you've, you've, you've destroyed him mentally. You've also killed him physically. Um, so in my opinion, yes, it was murder. You murdered, uh, the aspirations of an ummah within the region and you've murdered him physically. Uh, whether it took six years, whether it took a day, they were guilty of it, and they were complicit, and they worked with the West to do this. Rush, any thoughts on no, that? I was well, really well said. All I would say, actually, to give another perspective, is that Erdogan himself came out and said yeah. that it was a murder for many of those reasons. But I think it's interesting when Erdogan said it says it is because he's kind of in a similar type of position <laughs> where he recognizes that okay, he's got popular support, but actually some of the powers that be you know, he might be the next. And he recognises that, you know, because of all these tentacles that lead back to the colonialist powers, that it's only a matter of time. If you play with fire, 
which is what you're doing within these systems and you don't have enough control then it's only a matter of time so i also agree yeah. i think it's not assassination not about you know okay he was shot there and then or yeah. taken out but the fact that they did it over this period of time it's not just him who was assassinated but like he says yeah. political islam the muslim brotherhood and just the whole situation is made and bad for muslims w- w- one thing i wanted one, one thing i wanted to add as well it, it shows you also the fear of the kuffar Uh, look at the sentiment globally amongst Muslims that has taken place. And they, so they fear Islam to that extent. They fear Islam to the extent they did not let this man's janazah take place, you know, in his family home. They buried him in a prison. So because of the, they didn't want the effect what it would have on the I population. I think, prison. I think this was they, quoted they, that he was buried. It was like some, some, some yeah, out of yeah. the area. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, but it's, um, I think it was classed as a, a prison cemetery, okay. not okay. Uh, his family home cemetery. That's so it's yeah. a cemetery which is designated for prisoners. Subhanallah. So, you know, uh, <laughs> we can speak about this for, for forever. Um, But the one thing I think is important to mention also, because you mentioned Erdogan, and what I would say is that what we see is that uh, the Americans, they don't have plan A, plan B, plan C. They have plan uh, Z or Z, wherever wherever you're from. Um, what I would say is that there was a stage where the Turkish model was being promoted. Uh, and there was a stage where, you know, um, the Islamists in power without Islam was a uh, was a style which was uh, adopted and implemented what i would say now is that the attack the onslaught of the kuffar whether it's out of the desperation the fear that shaza said is what we see now is now they don't want any remnants of islam in political life and hence why we see uh, the coup attempt on uh, president erdogan uh, and so on so inshallah ta'ala For our listeners and, and viewers, uh, I think it's important if uh, maybe we summarize on some points um, collectively. I think first point I would say is that uh, what this shows, uh, first of all, we would need to mention first of all that, uh, you know, this is not an attack on Muhammad Mursi. No, Allah bless him on yes. the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, in fact, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, reward me gentle for Ameen. those. Ameen. And, Ameen. you know, the, 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 prob- the, the crimes that were committed against him. Well, inshallah ta'ala, the way where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purified him and uh, through his mercy, so that on the day of judgment, he stands in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uh, without any sins. Um, but one thing we need to understand is that the important lessons we can take from this is, first of all, is that the methodology that we adopt to change, to bring about Islam, first of all, has to be uh, from the correct methodology, has to be from the sharia, and has to be from the evidences i think first and foremost and also this has to be from the life of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and some of the examples that you guys gave you know in fact we see that the brotherhood uh, unfortunately acted you know in an opposite way whether it was when they were offered power and etc etc i think also another important point from from me is the fact that you know the gradual implementation and to think that you can work within a democratic system where the actual ideology Uh, of capitalism has its measures in place to protect the system you know to think that you can go in whether you're Imran Khan or whether you're Mohammed Mursi or these people where whether you have a sincere intention or not to think that you'll be able to change the entire system in a way uh, through gradually why you know this is something which was is fantasy mm-hmm. you know we've seen this happen um, so any any points that you guys want to leave for the audience 
Yeah, I, I think you've said that quite succinctly. Islam is the solution. Subhanallah. An individual, how sincere, is not the solution. Islam is the solution. So an individual can err, but Islam will never err. And Islam is here till the day of Qiyamah. So you're right, the solution has to be taken from an Islamic solution. And we've clearly highlighted, and we can clearly see through history, the gradual pragmatic nature will never ever help Islam because it's not from Islam. So how can it help Islam if it's not from Islam in the first place? So I think the whole uh, issue of gradualism and pragmatism is something that Muslims uh, should, you know, again, discuss and look at and see its fruits. It, they don't work. They don't work and they never will work. You know, from it's pretty, looking at it a slightly different way again. Don't give two directions. <laughs> I won't give two directions this time. You know, something that non-Muslims will never understand and Muslims should is the concept of barakah. Mm. Yeah? You know, in a lot of your actions, you can say there's small amount of something here and there may be barakah in it and that's worth more than this huge amount of something and there's no barakah in it. Mm. But you know, our pol- we take that very personally. But as with many of Islamic concepts, they're not just there for the mm-hmm. individual. You know, if we look at political problems that we have, we should look for barakah in those things as well. Yes. And we know that barakah only comes when you go back to your connection with your creator and say, this is the solution you've provided. Whether it logically means that we're going to have more or less, the creator has provided that solution. So there's more barakah in something that you do that is in accordance to Allah's deen. Mm-hmm. You know, if we carry out political actions and actually recognize that this is what the Sharia has said, even if that action seems so small in compared to this superpower that is there, that is trying to fight Islam, yeah. actually there will be barakah in that action because we're doing it because we know that's where the solution comes from. And I think the barakah in political actions is what will attain us victory. Yeah. Even, even having that discussion, that talking amongst your friends and family, about these these things that are taking place, uh, there is barakah in this, and Definitely. you know it will go a long way for us on the day of Qiyamah, inshallah. Inshallah. Okay, Jazakallah khair, brothers. Feek. Really has been uh, uh, you know uh, a really good discussion. Jazakallah khair. Inshallah, ta'ala, I hope those uh, watching and those listening uh, found it beneficial, and inshallah, ta'ala, one of our plans this this year is really to get input from you know what our uh, fans or supporters or you know people who want to learn something about islam what they want to uh, what sort of topics they they want us to be discussing so inshallah you know we can't do this without the with you know without your support so it'd be good inshallah if you know uh, you get in contact uh, with the the votu team and maybe suggest give us some feedback you know inshallah ta'ala, we're doing these uh, podcasts for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but inshallah for, for, for everyone, for our, own ben- for our own benefit, but also for you guys out there as well. So inshallah, on that note, um, I'll bring this to an end. Uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.